What are you doing in there? We are discussing the fate of this world. What? Oh, not again. Quiet. She speaks the truth. The actions we choose next will determine the fate of all. I don't want to be part of this team anymore. Oh, bloody thing's too altruistic. Where's the treasure in orbit, eh? Ain't no demons got any treasure. Quiet, please. This is not a time for lecherousness or greed. All the cosmos awaits our choice. And what of you, Ulswitch, druid of the north? You speak for this group, this band. What say you? In all my travels, I have never seen a time as narrow as this. The fate of time itself hangs on a withered branch. Our course is already clear. We must fight the dark or die trying. There is no choice. We are already doomed. It is only a matter of if we can stop it. I don't want to stop it. Why not spend our last days up in a tavern, eh? Up having a good time. Enough of your prattling. You heard, old Switch. The time has come. We make for the Black Mountains. Steal your nerves. We will face the thing we have feared all this time. The thing that has behind The thing that has plagued us. Killed those that mean the most to us. Brought this world to its knees. The time to survive is over. This is the time to strike. And by the end of it, we will stand on the ruins of nothing short. Nothing less than the RPG mainframe. Okay, okay. Woo! Every time it gets a little weirder, doesn't it? Greetings, programs! It's your old buddy, Ingrid Burnall, here up in the northern reaches of Runehameria, and I'm I'm going to face my fears. Yep, it's time for me to confront my weakest area, my crippling weakness, my, my, my bad zone, my comfort outside the comfort area. <laughs> Sometimes I can talk, other times I can't. Welcome back to Runehammer, you guys. The podcast made the last. This is, uh, what, episode 48 or something? How insane is that? It's crazy. Thank you, everybody, for sticking along for this wild ride through RPG Deep Think and uh, choosing this podcast to fill your time with the dulcet tones of Ingrid Bernal. <laughs> anyway, today's topic here on the mainframe is something I have, I, I think I've been subconsciously avoiding it for years, three years to be exact, maybe a little bit more. And 
just doing today's research while I'm working today, I mean, what better to do on a beautiful summer day than hide in your office and work on RPGs, right? But during that time, today, it just, it really struck me. I need to put some thinking on this. So I got the notebook out, started writing some stuff down, as I always do before the podcast. And I'm like, oh my God, I could feel the cold grip of fear crawling up my spine. Even, even as all I was doing was just considering the topic and I was getting the chisnillies. That's because today I am talking about none other than NPCs. That's right, NPCs, my worst area as a dungeon master. And I know something that's difficult for everybody out there. Now, there's a lot to unpack here. So let's have a quick musical interlude while I home nastame. Okay, so what am I talking about when I am saying NPCs and good old non-player characters? Yep, the fruit vendors, the arch wizards, the evil kings, the, the vengeful liches, the meaningless tavern goers, the rambling drunks, the murder victims, the cowering family, the goodly priest, the elder villager, <laughs> right? All these characters that populate your world that make it believable, that it's alive. It's very difficult to pull off a game world uh, sort of like the surface in the Matrix, right? Where it's just this wasteland of machines and you're just going to go out and everything you encounter is a mindless enemy. Now that can make a cool one night of gameplay, but after a while you're going to find that your game is running insanely thin on emotional content without other human beings. I mean, remember... We are social animals, especially D&D players have all this expectation about rescuing people, fulfilling debts, being heroic, being honest, being loyal. And none of these things really can happen in a world without lots of other people. Now, one of the great things about playing D&D and fantasizing about uh, fantastic worlds in general is that our modern world is so crowded it really does seem that every inch of our modern world is sort of, uh, you know, divvied out and owned and fenced. And we walk on the sidewalk and we stand in line and we don't have this incredible heroic freedom like we do in our games. But on the other end, if the world is too empty, it also becomes a wasteland. We, we've, we find ourselves alone in the wilderness and this, this big part of us is longing. And so somewhere in the middle I think is the beauty of a good fantasy world. It isn't a crowded world. Like it doesn't feel like, you know, <laughs> Western Europe. It's not just a crowded modern world, but it's not a, a Neolithic world. It's not a world that's so ancient that to even see another person is wonderful because that's honestly hard to get your imagination around and lonely. I mean, you don't want to go six sessions between encountering an NPC. So I think it's, it's somewhat self-evident that to have a really effective game as a dungeon master, you're going to need a nice little bumper crop of NPCs. You're going to need a little NPC buffet, right? You don't need a crowded world, but you don't want an empty one. And so you want something in the middle. 
Okay, so you've accepted the self-evident nature of needing these in your game. And this is these are all mental processes that I'm going through as I'm preparing to run my autumn game. I'm going to be running a game this fall. And so I'm starting to, you know, do that hand wringing and that <laughs> in my lair as I start preparing this game. And I had to face this truth. Okay, so let's take that as our first little waypoint on our journey here. You're going to need a small bumper crop of NPCs. Okay, accept it, all right, accept it. Now, once I accept that, I instantly go into my self-doubt mode. Now, I know that you guys think of me as Ingrid Bernal, but who I really am, my true person, has just as many doubts and worries and weaknesses as anyone else. Ingrid Bernal, I mean, he's a, he's a brilliant, accomplished painter who lives up in the mountain village of Barholm, but I'm Brandon. <laughs> I'm a mortal person with a lot of fears and hesitation. And the minute I accept that I'm going to need NPCs in my game, I instantly feel the cold chill of fear. And there's several reasons. First of all, remembering all of the motivations and nuances and subtleties of NPCs has always been a weakness of mine. I don't write detailed enough notes about them, and I don't have a memory that really focuses on NPCs. My memory tends to focus on mechanics, on monsters, and on villains, and on sort of like bat rep, <laughs> you know, battle reports. I can remember a lot of details about battles, but the nuances of social behavior in NPCs is a weak point for me. Second one I have as a weak point is the voices. I know that I do lots of crazy voices here on the podcast, but that's different than doing dramatically delivered role-playing through an NPC during a game. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I think this is actually the hardest part of all dungeon mastering, all dungeon mastering. And a lot of dungeon masters out there are not good at it. They either do one accent for everything, okay? I mean, there's a lot of those. Or they do like me, whereas they start somewhat serious, but start to feel self-conscious. And about halfway through, I kind of wrap it up. I kind of say, oh, yeah. And then he tells you the rest of the stuff. And then, right, I'll do that. And I don't mean that little as a joke. I literally do that as like a, I feel socially weird and I'm retreating into cartoon silly land to relieve my weird feeling. I And anybody who has played with me will testify. I do this a lot with my NPCs. I'll get halfway through an important speech and then I'll start going faster, I'll wrap it up, and then I'll do something to the effect of blah, 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 to finish it. That's my second problem. My third one is I, I don't care. I'm annoyed by them. I get annoyed by NPCs. Almost all the groups I've ever been in, at first they're kind of excited to have an NPC sort of tagging along with the group, and then they just don't want the NPC to eat up any time or turns, and they don't want the NPC to do the cool stuff because they want to do the cool stuff. And you kind of just either want the NPC to die or go away. Okay, so between those three problems, remembering all their nuance, doing the voices, and kind of deep down wanting them to go away, between those three things, this is why I get the cold creep of fear. If I accept the self-evident statement, you're going to need some NPCs in your world, dude, if you want a, a robust, cool story that really pulls people in. So I'm like, oh my gosh, how am I going to solve this? What am I going to do? So let's go through those three fears and see if we can come up with a deep think or a codification that could help us get through some of this hesitation. And it isn't just hesitation. It's also just literally lack of skill. Let's say that I've had a few beers, I'm totally in the moment with the game, and I'm ready to overcome the sort of fear and hesitation part, 
But since I bypass this stuff so often, I literally lack the mental skill to get good at it on the spot, even though I'm completely bought in. Okay, so let's let's break it down. First of all, the nuance question. This basically asks, where does an NPC sort of live or, or where is he found or sh- where is she found or discovered or run into in the world? You need to know that. What are they all about? What are they wanting? What, what's their deal? Why are they even in this damn story? Okay. And then what are the nuances of how they've already interacted with the players or how they've interacted with the villains or the monsters or other NPCs? And what's the current status on those nuances so that the world feels continual? You don't want to bump into the same NPC multiple times and they're just like, greetings and welcome to Tordheim. And then it's like four months pass and you return and they go, greetings and welcome to Tordheim. That's just like, no, that <laughs> that reveals the totally not real nature of your world. So you're going to need to remember that, you know, Franz, the Kumquat vendor, has met the players months ago and then sees them again and says, by the stars and gardens, <laughs> it's you again. It's good to see you. Welcome back to Tordheim, right? That is an example of remembering nuance. Okay, so how can we conquer this? And the answer, like so many of the things on this podcast, is Lego simple. It is a simple matter of controlling how you keep your NPC notes, how you do it, not that you do it. I know all of you guys are awesome RPG hobbyists. You're all stone cold deep in this business, but there isn't always a systematic application to how you're laying it down, right? And you guys have seen my notebooks. I am quite transparent with how insane I am with my notes. And although this kind of looks cool on paper and it's really fun for the right brain, as far as looking things up, remembering or referencing information in an orderly or useful fashion, I am the worst, the absolute worst. So this is basically an affirmation to myself right now, but I'm going to sort of package it in my professorial voice for y'all, which is put rigor into your NPC stat blocks is what we're going to call it. It's like an NPC stat block. You need a big name in bold. This is Franz, the kumquat vendor. And then I need to break down exactly what we just talked about. The where, the what do they want, and the sort of their status with the players. What they want is actually probably one of the most important things that you can track. But just like the bullet journaling method, if you're always doing these same bullets, Where are they? What do they want? And what's their status? You won't even have to label the bullets after a while because you know those are the three bullets you always put under a boldly written name, Franz, right? I kind of scribble over it three times to get the letters really bold. Franz. Oh, yeah, he's the Comquat vendor that's in Tordheim. Oh, and that's right. He's happy to see the players again because last time they threw him like 10 gold just for a couple of Comquats and they're just really generous. So... And what did he want again? Oh, that's right. He wanted Tordheim to be protected from the plague of trolls. So if I can just remember these three things, where is he? What does he want? And what's his status? I can break it down on my NPC. So what I did was I did a couple of practice runs. And this, to me, is the only way to get the brain to learn because the brain hates me. (laughs) The brain never does what I want it to do. 
But so what I did is I just wrote my names. Like I have this guy Vander. And so I wrote Vander and then I put his location, his uh, desires, what does he want and his status. And some of these can be one word sometimes, but then I went on to my next guy, lizard man. And I always have this guy in my game. So then I instantly found myself going into my old habits. I don't want an NPC called Lizard Man. That's whack. I need an NPC called Vartal. So I've got Vander and I've got Vartal. And Vartal is a Lizard Man. And blah, blah, blah. Here's his three bullets. And so I started, what I started doing was just repeating. Some of these characters, most of them, I don't even know what they are, where they come from, or if I'll ever use them. Kind of don't care. What I'm trying to do is use repetition to teach my brain to do this. Bold name. Where are they? What do they want? And what's their status? So this, I know, isn't really a solution. It's, again, an affirmation. It's me telling myself, you can systematize this. You don't have to be crippled by doing really bad NPC continuity in your games. You can take control of it, and you're going to use a journaling, note-taking technique to do so. Now, even just telling myself that, that cold creep of fear that's going up my spine starts to go down toward the middle, rather up toward my neck where it really feels uncomfortable. <laughs> it's more toward the upper lumbar, right? <laughs> After applying this journaling technique. But wait a minute, I still have two problems to deal with. And the second one is really what got me going today, the voices. So today I was kind of catching up on just a lot of my interneting, a lot of my YouTubing and my podcasting. And one thing that I just have to admit I come back to that gets me excited is Matt Mercer's voice acting. It, it is amazing. His willingness to go into the game, and as I've sort of described it in the past, to sort of turn up the dork meter to 11, is absolutely inspiring to me. He, I mean, he's obviously a professional performer, and that's on his side, but it goes beyond that. It's a it's an in-the-moment, completely comfortable-in-your-own-skin kind of talent. And especially when he's playing, you know, Trinket and some of his wilder characters, some of his female characters and stuff, he's just, it's amazing to me. I really wish that I could accomplish that level of sort of performance freedom right on the spot. Like, it's, it's amazing. <laughs> okay, so enough fangirling on... Matt Mercer. You know, we should change that term to fanboying. We should get the, the boys a turn. It's not fangirling for 2019. The rest of 2019, we're going to say fanboying. Let's, let's even this out. Boys get a turn. <laughs> so enough fanboying on Matt Mercer's voice acting capability. What are my, my methods for improving my blah, 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 oh, behavior? Well, I'm not sure I entirely like my solution on this one for you guys. But here it is. My solution that I'm going to recommend if you have this same fear and the same problem that I have is to not get into their voices in the first place. Now, if you can hold the voices like uh, like Joe Sterling does from uh, Role for Effort, he's brilliant with it. I actually think it's his strongest suit as a dungeon master. If you can hold the voices and rock on, you don't need to even listen to this part of the podcast. Just fast forward. But if you can't hold on to them, I would almost recommend, I'm going to have to recommend because I'm recommending it to myself. Don't start with the voice and then decay. Just start speaking about the character. So you say, Vander welcomes you back to Tordheim. 
See what I did? I, I don't have to speak through Vander's voice right there. Vander welcomes you back to Tordheim. He's actually super excited to see you because he's hoping that Tordheim will be safe from the troll incursions. And he hasn't seen you for months. So realizing that you've survived, he runs up to you and offers you a few of his fresh, delicious kumquats. So do you see what I did there? I never had to speak for Vander. Now, if we get into some kind of a combat and Vander needs to make a pain noise, you know, or a battle cry for Tordheim, I can kind of do that, but I'm not delivering his story relevance via dialogue. Now, this is something that a talented sort of voice-focused dungeon master can do without blinking. You deliver the guts of the story dialogue through a characterization voice, through an accent or a wacky voice or, you know, you know, this kind of stuff. But what I'm recommending is that as your default go-to method, if you're like me and you have a lot of trouble with voices, instead of beating yourself up about it, go ahead and use the descriptive technique. Vander welcomes you back to Tordheim. See, that, to me, that's not falling short. That doesn't feel like a consolation prize. That still feels fantastic. The, the heroes kind of enter through the town gate and they're like, man, that was crazy. We barely made it through that. And then Vander welcomes you back to Tordheim. Do you guys remember Vander from months ago? He's the Comquat vendor. He sees you, his face lights up and he runs over. He describes to you how happy he is to see you because of the troll incursions and offers you two of his fresh kumquats. To me, that keeps me in my comfort zone and I don't get this crawl up my spine because honestly, the amount of energy that you waste by having a crawl of fear or hesitation go up your spine is hard to even overestimate. It uses up lots of brain power and most importantly, it releases cortisol into your brain and that is bad. (laughs) You don't want cortisol in your brain. It makes you nervous. It makes you less intelligent. It makes you short. It it reduces your perception of everything going on around you. What we want is little hits of dopamine, serotonin, right? We want to feel good. We want to feel active. We want to feel emotionally reinforced by what we're doing. So the description I just gave about Vander, I felt like that was cool, right? Vander welcomes you back to Tordheim. Uh, I could I could write that in a novel and feel good about that sentence. Hell yeah, that's really to the point. I feel good. And feeling good is what we want to do because we're here to have fun, not like train. <laughs> now, we always want to get better, but if you're just outside your comfort zone like I am in this particular case, there you go. Now, don't take this rule to be too brutal. You're still going to speak in Goblin every once in a while. Right? You're still going to speak, uh, you know, to quote the role for effort scenario that we have going in mud, Muddish, I think is what we've been calling it. Also known as Mudman is the name of the language, which is Mukluk Manukluk. Right? We've been speaking in Muddish a lot, but it's also because it's kind of funny. It's comical, and so it's easy. Delivering more serious content, especially when it needs to move the story forward, like Vander welcomes you back to Tordheim. To me, that kind of serious dialogue is a lot harder to do than speaking in muddish, which was which means welcome back to Tordheim <laughs> in muddish. Okay, so that's my recommendation on the voice problem. Be inspired by voice actors. Totally enjoy it. If you get a DM who rocks it, have fun with it because it's totally awesome. JD is amazing. Oh, stars and gardens. He's crazy with the stuff. And for doing a podcast, I'm alone in this room. I can do all kinds of crazy voices and feel comfortable. But when I think about doing it in a game, 
cold creep of fear, I'm going to use the descriptive method, and I hope this can help you too. Final problem. I just wish these damn NPCs would die. <laughs> this, this is my favorite problem because it's the funniest one. But I'm just, this is confessional. You guys know how I am. I believe that creativity is rooted in confession. When you're really honest about how you feel and what you want, you're at your most creative. And so I got to say, 90% of the time, I just wish the damn NPCs would either go away or die. Now, this isn't because I want other people in the world to go away, die, or suffer. It's because action time in any given game is very limited, especially, you know, in the adult world where you don't get to play every night for 10 hours, you know, like we get to play once a week for like three, four hours. And it's, it's like all about these ongoing stories between the players and we're heroic and we have all this stuff we need to get through and do. And I don't really want to think about or deal with what these three NPCs that we're tagging along, what they're going to do this round, right? Now, they might be important to the story or to the mechanical situation, but I got to admit, just confessional, right? I just wish these buggers would just fall off a cliff. Then we can all have a cool role-playing scene where we're sad, but it's us who are sad. <laughs> I know, this is terribly, terribly narcissistic, but as a player, I just wish the damn NPCs would die. And I think generally dungeon masters think their NPCs are so cool, and players are just, guy. I just wish this guy would quit taking turns. So can we get a solution? Can we get a solution to this? And the answer is yes. And I think that the solution rests in a concept of a pet. You can think of an NPC as a pet. You can think of an NPC as a spell. You really want to get crazy with it? You could think of an NPC as a sword. A sword sits at your side, moves around with you, is stuck to you, right? And doesn't do a damn thing until time can be sacrificed to use that sword. And then you want to use it, you want to gain effect, and then you want to put the sword back in the scabbard. Okay, this is the same idea that we're going to apply to NPCs. NPCs are just like scabbarded swords. They do not speak. They do not do free movement. They really have almost no contribution until a player turn is used to almost tap, to use a magic gathering term, to tap an NPC. And this act of tapping means that the NPC comes forward out of the darkness and into the light. They maybe get a line or two. Vander announces that he, at this moment, will sacrifice himself for Tornheim. This is his moment. Vander takes up his kumquat chopping axe and runs forward into the fray at the command of... Vartol, who is my sort of lizard man, will make him a player. You see, so it's almost like a player is using the NPC as a spell, using the NPC as a pet attack, or using the NPC almost as an ability, and it requires that player's time to do so. You make it the player's turn to tap the NPC. There's your most tight way of seeing it. NPCs do not move around freely. They don't get their own ideas. They don't do all this interesting stuff. They are swords in scabbards. And they move around in a somewhat almost non-existent way until a player says, for my turn, I want Vander to draw his blade and charge into battle because I'm going to inspire him to do so. And that player is using their table time 
to tap this NPC. Now, this won't entirely relieve, I wish these guys would just die, but believe me, it will relieve a lot of it. The opposite case, which is what gives me this sort of confessional in the first place, is where NPCs have every turn, they have a turn, just like a player, they move, they may take an action that has a role, and they may say something, and they may be somewhat deviant from the main course of the group because they have a mind of their own. This is why I hate these buggers. They're just as cool as I am, but the DM gets to run them, and I'm just like, I'm why I oughta. You get to run the whole world. You got to create the whole adventure, and now you want to say cool things in a Scottish accent too? Unacceptable! <laughs> Okay, so let's try, and you guys can always report back like I know you guys always do in the comments, on Facebook, in the emails, if any of this advice actually works for your game. I'm constantly surprised every week by how many games there actually are running. You know, a lot of times in the hobby, it can feel like everybody's talking about D&D or playing RPGs, and maybe 5% of them are actually playing in ongoing games. Uh, after doing this Runehammer journey of mine for four years now, um, actually, I think it's it, it might be longer than that. I, did I start in 2013? That's insane to think about. Anyway, after doing it for a few years now, I've had the chance to sort of be a fly on the wall in so many active games because of all of you guys and all of the readers on Facebook and all of the Index Card RPG readers and players and all the people who watched Monster Battle Royal back in the early days of Drunkens and Dragons reporting in on their ongoing games. So do these ideas work? Can the NPC is a sword in a scabbard concept work? Can repetition on a three-bullet system for tracking your NPCs work? And can the descriptive method give you a respite from the sort of the fright and maybe just the absence of talent or confidence to run a bunch of fascinating voices? Believe me too, your players are going to be totally fine with the fact that they're the ones doing all the interesting voices and that the DM is backing away a little bit and playing as a narrator in this novel rather than an actor with a bunch of lines. Every once in a while, you may not be able to find your way out of it. You may need to deliver some vines, or some, some vines, yeah. I've got your vines here. Speedy delivery. <laughs> Oi, Joshy. Oh, you're a real cracking lad. Here's your vines, then. <laughs> anyway, that was a minor digression. <laughs> you might not be able to avoid a situation where you need to deliver some lines. Like, let's say, we're, you know, we're finally fighting Vecna after two years of gameplay. I'm going to need to do some lines for Vecna. <laughs> so... I just hope these work as good for you guys as they seem to be working for me, and I can't wait for my next game. You know, all summer, really since uh, February almost, or March, I've just been a player. I have not been running games, so I've just been enjoying that beautiful wool blanket of being a player, which I still believe is the number one way to get good at dungeon mastering, is to play to be a humble player, to be a supportive player, to be a friendly player, to be a quick player, to be timely so you're not eating up a ton of table time, and just to be a player that other players really enjoy playing with, is there is no better way to learn to be a dungeon master. But even that said, when it comes to NPCs, I just, oh man, oh, I'm so bad at it. So 
I don't think anything really that I could propose, especially in a half hour podcast, is going to solve this sort of behavioral crutch that I have, this kind of that I have where I'm just not good at it. But this is the joy of an affirmation. You don't have to solve all your problems. What you do is you pull them out in the light and you say, hey, I'm going to work on you a little bit. Uh, You guys may have heard this uh, funny saying called, instead of saying, I'm bad at X, what you say is, I'm currently struggling with X. (laughs) Now, this may seem like a little bit of a snowflakey sort of statement, but I think this is really useful kind of thinking. I'm not bad at running NPCs. I'm just currently struggling with running NPCs. I mean, doesn't that feel nice? Now, you guys know me. I really believe in the power of self-help, of positive affirmation, the power of telling yourself you can do it, of reinforcing things that make you feel good and not doing things that make you feel crappy. And this is one of them. I feel pretty good when I tell myself I'm currently struggling with NPCs a little bit. But you know what? I think I can get better rather than, oh, man, I suck at NPCs, which was my first thought when I was watching like this compilation of Matt Mercer doing voice acting. I'm just like, man, I suck at this. (laughs) You may not believe in self-help affirmations that much, but you can't argue with the fact that it's no good to tell yourself. I suck at something. that's, That's not good. So I am currently challenging, or wait, I am, what is, how does it go? I'm currently struggling with speaking in English. No, I'm currently struggling with NPCs and I'm going to get a little bit better. I'm going to track them in a consistent way. I'm going to use the description method to avoid having to do their voices all the time. And I am going to treat them like scabbarded swords during gameplay to keep them from becoming cumbersome or just wanting them to die. I'm going to apply these three techniques and maybe next year at some point I'll tell myself, you know what? I'm not struggling with NPCs anymore. I'm doing pretty cool. Pretty cool. I'm not Matt Mercer over here. I'm not JD, but dang it, I get by. And that's how we do it up in here on the RPG mainframe. I hope that these tiny, simple little methods help you guys with your NPCs. But remember, the most important part is that you think about the parts that you're good at in dungeon mastering and that you're not so good at and think about and write down methods to get better. Now, whether they come from the mainframe, they come from your own brain, they come from the internet, it doesn't matter. It is the critical thinking about your own skills, weaknesses, and strengths that's going to make you better. Guarantee it. Because critical thinking is the only path to improvement. See, I just did it. I just did it. Once I feel myself getting too serious, <laughs> I do the Gregorian monks come out and I'm just in silly land. And there you go. So, wow. Talk about uh, proving your own. <laughs> I'm currently struggling with podcasting. <laughs> okay, you guys, that's just, I wanted to just get that down. I feel so, so much better already, actually. From the beginning of this journey, early this morning, working through the day, hiding from the sun, all the way to now feeling a lot better. And that's what it's all about. This is the podcast that was made to last the RPG mainframe here on Rune Hammer. This is your old buddy Ingrid Bernal here. Uh, thanks for tuning in, everybody, and welcome all you new patrons. My goodness, peeps coming out in the woodwork up in here. So uh, been a lot going on on YouTube, too. Um, still trying to get all that stuff done, and there's a lot of crazy stuff ahead. So thanks, everybody, for tuning in once again. Keep it real. Don't steal. And you know you're going to get a deal, all right? I'm going to get out of here and uh, work on some NPCs. And I've been uh, like drawing swords all day because 
Sometimes you just need to draw a really cool looking sword. All right, you guys, I'm out of here. I'll see you on that internet. As Zoe Ingrid Bernal signing off for you. Sand squid. There was a bonus. Uh, sounded like a dying squirrel there. What was that exactly? I don't know.